Evening, everybody. Let's do this just while you're seated now and before you even grab your Bibles, perhaps. Just take a deep breath. Take a moment as we continue our time in God's presence. We're always in God's presence, but as we gather together as a church body, just take a deep breath. Maybe close your eyes. And would you just, in silence and in prayer to Him, would you just maybe finish this sentence? Lord, I need you in. Just complete that sentence. So ever-present God, you are near to us. So even in this moment, remind us that all we have is this moment. And remind us that all we really need is you. Lord, we're in need of many things. Many people are out tonight. We just pray for healing from sickness. Maybe healing in some ways in which we're thinking that are not in line with reality in the way you want us. So Lord, in this moment, for us here right now, we just offer ourselves to you, to the one we need, and to the one who longs to be with us, meeting with us, speaking to us. So we invite you to have your way, that your kingdom come and your will would be done in our lives, in this moment, as it is in heaven. Through Christ Jesus, our Savior, our King, amen. Amen. Good to see everybody. Do this. Would you turn to Jonah chapter 4? Uh, here's where we're headed, Lord willing, in the next couple weeks. Um, this night, we're going to finish the book of Jonah proper. We're going to finish chapter 4 of the text. It doesn't mean we're finished, really, with Jonah, and in particular, the merciful God on mission. So what I'd like to do next week, invite everybody to come back. You're always, of course, invited to come back. Uh, to come back next week, we're going to have kind of a different night, okay? It's, it's not, like, different in the sense that we've never done anything like this, but next week is really going to be a focus on prayer, okay? Um, because prayer is that place in which we position ourselves before God to be formed, but also, it's this way in which we can partner with God to help form the world, okay? Not because we're awesome, but because we have access to the God who is awesome, and we have access to the God who is on mission for those people in the webs of relationships in which we exist. What we've been talking about for now nine weeks, we're going to finish week 10 in Jonah as a church, worshiping, reflecting on where we've been, but mainly on reflecting on who God is, who he's revealed himself to be through this book. We're going to pray together, okay? So this will be good. I, I think it's a really fruitful time. You know, just what I do in preaching, what we do in singing is really just part of what the church is up to every week when we gather together all over the world. We need to be a people of prayer, invoking God to let his kingdom come and his will be done. So come back next week, and then after next week, Lord willing, we're going to sort of return to the Gospel of Mark, okay? Who remembers that we've been doing the Gospel of Mark? Yes, it's been a good while, and guess what? It's going to be a good while still. I'm determined to finish what Mark Moore started. God help us, we're going to do Gospel of Mark. But what we're going to do in a few weeks is we're going to return to the Gospel of Mark, but really we're just going to return for three weeks and focus on the greatest commandment, okay? So really our next little stopping point will be in the greatest commandment for three weeks. Then that gets us to Thanksgiving. And then after Thanksgiving, that gets us to 
Advent, okay? So that's where we're headed, in case anybody was wondering, besides me, as the preacher man who's going to preach, that's where we're headed. We're going to look, after we pray and transition from Jonah, we're going to look at the greatest commandment, then that'll get us into Advent. Sound good? Rock and roll. Hey, we're in Jonah chapter 4. Here's what we've done so far. We cut this chapter in half. Last week, we looked at Jonah's side of the story. This is a conversation, a dialogue, and it's the way that the narrator has chosen to close out this book that's been full of action, okay? It's been full of action, Jonah not going and then going, the sailors turning, then the Ninevites turning drastically. So last week was Jonah's response to all this action, and his response to all this action was a complaint, and he complained and said, I knew this would happen. I knew that if you gave my enemies a chance, my enemies just might become my family, okay? So he complained about that. That made him very angry. And so we had Jonah's complaint. He was angry that all of a sudden Israel's God was welcoming Israel's enemies. Then we saw a confession, okay? He said, I knew this would happen. And he also says, because God, I know you. And I know that as soon as you show yourself to be merciful and compassionate, People will respond, and you'll respond to them with an embrace. And that made Jonah very, very, very angry, okay? So tonight we get to hear how God responds to Jonah's anger. So tonight we focus on God's mercy, which, if you'll remember, is what I hope that we all see about God every week in the book of Jonah, that we catch a vision for the merciful God who's on mission for his creation. This comes squarely into focus where we finish tonight, okay? So let's read chapter four, all in one sitting. Let's look at Jonah's side. Then let's hear what God is going to say and do and respond. And then we'll circle back around and we're gonna talk about it. It's gonna be on the screen, so just follow along. Chapter four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Okay, let me stop you real quick. And as we read the rest of this chapter, I want you to see how Jonah and how he's feeling is uh, is contrasted to God and how he is and how he is feeling about this whole Nineveh repenting thing, okay? Okay. So we see that Jonah's angry. Now what does he say in verse 2? Let's keep reading. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, 
It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand from their right, and also many animals. Let's pray again. Father, just we invite you to let your word just penetrate our hearts in ways that my words can't, and we just ask that your spirit would in your kindness just invite us closer and closer to you. Bless our time together. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your presence. We're grateful for your son, Jesus, and the spirit that unites us. Thank you, Abba Father. Amen. So, here's the deal. We also talked about how Jonah is in a process. And what we just read is that Jonah is in a very bad place in his process. He started out on the wrong foot when he fled, and he's ending, it looks like in our text tonight, he's ending on the wrong foot too. He's really, 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 really angry, okay? And if you remember, what we talked about is that spiritual formation is not just for us, but it's for the sake of others. And so Jonah said all the right things about the merciful God, but Jonah was not letting that merciful God and his love work itself out into love for others. And so what happens if we're like Jonah when we get stuck and we have an issue like anger or maybe we have an issue of impatience, we have an issue of lust, we have some issue that seems to be really deeply seated and deeply rooted. A lot of times what we do is this. We say, okay, here's what I need to do. If I'm angry like Jonah, like we've seen so far, I need to just stop being so angry. Okay, so what does that look like? When I'm driving in the car, that's when I get angry. So when that person cuts me off, I need to be conscious of my behavior and change my behavior, okay? I need to not cuss at that guy. Maybe I need to say, Lord Jesus, just bless him. Bless him for cutting me off. God love you. And so you can do this, and it may make it five minutes into the conversation you know, that you're having with God and this person that cuts you off, and it may not even last the 30-minute drive that you're on to work. Because what happens is, when we look at these places, for Jonah, it's anger. When we look at these places of deep-seated issues that are blocking our spiritual formation, what we want to do is say, okay, what do I need to do? And what we find often is God, rather, wants to go straight to the heart and how he often does it is go straight to the heart with a question. And it's a question that is there to give us pause, to let us sit down and ask not, what do I need to do about this behavior? But rather, when God speaks to us, when God wants to do this deep work, we need to say, okay, who, God, do you want me to be? Or maybe God is asking this question, you know, who are you? Or why are you responding like this? God wants to do deep-seated work, okay? And we want to modify our behavior. But the deal is behavior modification, okay? Just trying to do the next right thing, it may get us part of the way, but God loves us enough. He loves Jonah, who is angry and disobedient enough. 
He loves Nineveh, who is angry and disobedient enough to not leave us in this place of halfway. He wants to totally transform us. And so to totally transform us, he is going to speak and ask and work in circumstances and questions to cut straight to the heart of our issues. He cares more about who we are than he does just what we pretend to do to look good in front of each other. Am I making sense? God wants to do deep-seated work, and here's where he wants to do it. I talked about anger and lust and whatever it is, fill in the blank. God wants to do his deepest work, watch, in these places, because these places are the places most unlike him. If God is forming us into the image of Christ for the sake of the world, those places like Jonah's anger, those deep-seated places that keep coming back, no matter how much God is trying to get us on board with him, those deep-seated places that are most unlike him, he wants to touch, to point, go straight to the heart, and he will persist and persist and persist until we finally... Lord willing, turn and let him transform us. Here's what I mean with Jonah as a case study in this last chapter. Look at verse three. He's angry. That's what Jonah says in 4.1. And so he has a death wish. Look at what he says. Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to live, uh, to die than to live. Okay? So what does Jonah say then? After God deals with him, gives him some space, what does he say in verse 8? He wanted to what? Die at the end of verse 9. And what does Jonah say? It would be better for me to die than to live. So Jonah is still stuck. Jonah's still got a deep-seated issue. And what does God do? Look back with me in verse 5. The first time he says, it is better for me to die than to live, what does the Lord say? He asks him a question. Is it right for you to be angry? Skip down again after the next time Jonah says the exact same words, it's better for me to die than to live. What does God do again? Is it right for you to be angry? So God is persisting with us. I want us to see this right away. God persists with us in these places of unlikeness, and he does it so often with a question. That straight-to-the-heart question. Jonah's angry. God has turned from his anger, and so God says, is it right for you to be angry? See, this is not a what-do-I-do-about-it question, is it? The behavior modification question, is it? Like I was just saying? Because anger is something that is resonating and boiling within us. And so God wants to deal with this. And so I think in this place and in our life, God works like a bug bomb. Who knows what a bug bomb is? Maybe you have a fogger, okay? I wanted to bring one, but I thought I would set one off in Spring Creek Church, and that would be a bad thing. When I see this question, when Jonah is still stuck, still angry, God asks him a question, and what he does is he sets off a bug bomb in the very center of his heart. 
And when I moved into my house, and why I'm thinking about bug bombs, is our garage is detached, and our house is old, and so our detached old garage is sitting back away from our house, and we throw open that garage door, and Amy says, look, isn't this nice? Because you've got a workbench on this side, and I said, girl, do you know who I am? A workbench? What do you think I'm going to be doing? Wood shopping in there? But yes, it's nice. And she says, look, and then it's all this space for storage. So we're about to move all this stuff in, and dude, it is spider city. Spider city. And I hate spiders. Before I put one box of books or one chair in there, I ran to Home Depot, and I got the biggest, baddest can of fog that takes forever, and I set it very carefully doing the karate chops over my head and looking up. I set it very carefully right in the center of that garage and I launched that thing and I shut that garage and I wanted to give it the space and the time that it needs to penetrate every nook and cranny of the workbench I would never use to kill every last spider in there, okay? God sets off bug bomb questions in our hearts. And so I wanna camp out because tonight we're talking about a question that God asks, and it's supposed to lead us to show us the compassion that God has. Our text tonight is about a question, and it's about compassion. But we've got to stay with the question because I believe that God, in many of our lives, in places where we're stuck, he wants to penetrate to the straight-to-the-heart question, because this is what Jesus often does. He wants to ask a question that causes us to look at our lives, to look at how we're acting, to look at how we're responding, and he wants to set it off in our hearts. And just like a bug bomb, sometimes these questions, God actually wants us to close the garage and give it time to work. Okay? Am I making sense? Here's what I mean in my life. For the last two years, I had been in a deep-seated place, so one of my deep-seated place of unlikeness that I'm telling you about. Two, two of these deep-seated places was a deeply-rooted anxiety. I was anxious, and it was manifesting itself in my relationship with Amy and others. I was being short with people. I was anxious, and it was manifesting itself in my ministry. I was constantly trying to perform for the better part of even these last two years at Providence. I've had a deep-seated anxiety. And this anxiety was not just the only place, but there was also a profound disbelief mixed in there with it. There was a disbelief that God actually was compassionate, merciful. So here's where I identify with Jonah, because I had these deep-seated places, and God set off a question in my heart. And it started with a vision of his love, a God who loves me, but he set off a question in my heart. And that question simply was this. It was, it was really a question of, God, Adam, who do you say I am? Because at the deepest part of my heart, I was convinced that God didn't love me, I was convinced that I was not good enough and that made me feel like the people in my life didn't love me and that made me feel like I was not good enough in relationships and in my ministry and these other places. And this is a very broken place. This is a very deep-seated place. And so God plants this question in my heart and it's who do you say I am? 
And so I, I get this and I hear this and I start to wrestle with this, but here's what I did. I get up because my little morning devotional is done and I've checked it off the list and so I move on throughout my day. So I don't give it the space to work. And so here God asks Jonah in this deep-seated place, is it right for you to be angry? Notice he doesn't address his silly death wish. He goes straight for the heart of the issue. But the question is not enough. You need the space. So here I am getting this question. I don't give God the space. Now here Jonah is in his anger. God cuts to the heart. And what is Jonah going to do? Is he going to give him the space? Look at verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So here's what Jonah does. God asks him the question that penetrates his anger to the deepest place in the heart, and just like Adam, he goes and he bails. He's not going out to sit and think about the question. He's going out to stew. And so the word that he does is he makes a tent, and that tent or that shelter is the same word that uh, Israel used when they were in the wilderness. And it's alerting us to the kind of desert area that this is. So God was uh, talking with Jonah in Nineveh, and God asks him the question, and then Jonah leaves Nineveh, and he goes and parks it, and he makes a shelter not to think about what God is up to in his heart and life, but he's going to sit there and persist and stew in his anger because he's waiting to see what would happen to the city. And so what was Jonah's original message? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So what Jonah is doing is persisting in his anger. He's building a shelter and he's going up to watch the fireworks. He's still waiting for God to come to his senses, to not show mercy, but to show strict judgment and overturn Nineveh like he would Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's waiting for the fireworks. And he goes, and he doesn't give space to let God work. He goes to persist and to remain angry. And so at this point, the question is cut short because Jonah didn't give it the space. And so we fast track back to my story. And I'm moving, and I'm building a shelter, I'm building a shelter, I'm building a shelter, day after day after day for months and months and months and months and months. And so what happens then for me is I can continue to ignore the question and remain anxious, disbelieving God's love, the more he's still persisting. But he doesn't just use a question. He begins to draw me to a sentence, to a verse of scripture. And God persists with me like he's going to persist with Jonah. And he leads me away from who do you say I am to who he wants to show me. He wants to turn the focus to me, and he gives me one sentence, and it's one sentence that I kid you not, God has been trying to get through to me for the better part of seven months until just recently. And the sentence is what he says to Jesus when he comes up out of the water at his baptism. And he says to Jesus, uh, and to me in the deepest part of my anxiety and disbelief, he says, this is my beloved son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And do you know that God, who had been asking me, do you believe that I love you? Who do you say I am? Do you believe that I love you? When I finally give him the space to let the bug bomb work, what he speaks to me and breathes deeply into my heart is you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So all of a sudden, the disbelief that I could behave in such a way that God would love me more 
begins to evaporate because I let myself believe that what he said about Jesus, he could also say about me, Adam, in Christ. This is my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. But it had to start not with me modifying my behavior, but he has to go straight to the heart of the issue. And for us, it's a question many times. For us, maybe it's a sentence, but he's persisting with us. But we've got to give him that space. Well, Jonah doesn't give him space, so what is God going to do? Because Jonah's still stuck. He's in the shelter, and he's got this shade. The shelter's working just a little bit. So now we're going to see God give him a parable. So he gave him a question, and now he's going to give him a parable. What's the parable about? The parable that is going to grow up around him is a parable of compassion. Okay? So we've looked at the question piece, and God has set it off in his heart, and Jonah's not giving him the space, so now he's going to show him. Okay? You weren't listening, maybe I can show you. God persists. So what does he do? Jonah's waiting for the fireworks, and wouldn't you know it, that shade that he made wasn't so great. So in verse 6, just like God in the past had provided a fish, the text tells us that the Lord God provided a leafy plant. Now, I don't know what kind of leafy plant. Nobody knows what kind of leafy plant, but it's a leafy plant that's like a vine that's at least enough to grow on up Probably like in my backyard, all these vines up around my fence. Maybe it grew up around Jonah's shelter, and it was just enough to give him shade. So all of a sudden, God, who loves Jonah, who's merciful to Jonah, even when Jonah's angry and in his shelter, God's going to provide some relief in Jonah's crummy little tent that he got. And so the shade comes up. Miraculously, God provides this vine, this plant, this gourd, maybe your Bible says, and it gave Jonah some shade to ease his discomfort. So Jonah is not doing so well. It's a wasteland outside of Nineveh. And so Jonah is very grateful. Okay, so watch Jonah go from zero, angry, to 60, rejoicing. My Bible says he was very happy about that plant. I just think that's a really funny sentence for the Bible. Jonah was very happy about that plant. It was a nice plant. It was good to him. And this is supposed to be a little bit comical because really what it actually says in some Bibles is like Jonah rejoiced with great rejoicing for the plant. It's like the dude that's probably just ran a marathon. Uh, I can't even relate to that. I'll just say ran five feet and he rejoices with great rejoicing with the bucket of Gatorade. Or you're starving and you rejoice with great rejoicing for the four pound Chipotle burrito. So Jonah's happy about this plant. Thank you, God. And it's so hilarious in this place where all of a sudden, Jonah's deep and abiding anger. Not only does he run from God's question, he's going to run from this feeling and he's going to let his circumstance all of a sudden dictate everything about how he's feeling about life in the world. This man, not hours before, was wishing for death. And because of this plant, all of a sudden, straight to happy. The problem is, so many times, when our circumstances change, we let so much of our life and emotion get dictated by just what happens around us. And like Jonah, we can never stop to say, hmm, that's strange that that plant just shot up in a few hours. That's a nice plant. Jonah rejoices about the plant, but he doesn't say, God, thank you for the plant. 
We can run from the question. We can also run from what God may be trying to do in circumstances around us. It doesn't mean that God is always in the hurricane and these things that you hear and talk about. But the question we often want to say is, God, just help me, help me, help me. But what we need to be saying is, God, where are you in this? Or are you? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to show me? This is always the right posture to be in. Because we may be in places where we're ignoring these questions, these statements that God is trying to give us the space to deal with. So, for the moment, he's not so angry at God. And we just need to be in a place, God, help us, where God, when you work through our circumstances, we still let you dictate our reality and determine our reality, even when the emotions get the best of us. So here's what happens. God provided a shade, and now what is he going to do? Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, so way early in the morning, God provided a worm. So God miraculously commissions a plant to do what plants do and grow, he commissions a worm to do what worms do, and he chews through the plant so that it withered. So if you imagine that it's a gourd, it's pumpkins, and you're driving through pumpkin patches and all this, what if you do imagine that it's like some kind of big gourd with a vine that shoots up at the top? What happens is God, who had appointed a fish before, who appoints a vine now, is going to appoint a worm to eat that gourd, that pumpkin, that plant. And so when he cuts it off at the root, very quickly, just as soon as this thing shoots up, this thing withers and fades and dies. So, you think Jonah's going to be hip to all that? Of course not. So God, who gave him relief, is now going to give a worm to put him back to despair. He's still trying to work. He's still trying to get through to him, but Jonah just won't give him the space. So it chewed the plant and it withered. And so then when the sun rose, this worm made short work of that, like the squirrels do in my neighborhood of them pumpkins. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. So he's in the wilderness. He's got no shade. And even at dawn, God is working amongst his creation. And he gives a scorching east wind. And the sun then is blazing on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And really, what you need to know is not that he was just, oh, he was very actually physically near death. So he was actually about to pass out, dehydrated. Hey, this was so great when I had the plant. I like the plant. Let's go back to when I had the plant. And then all of a sudden, within 24 hours, okay, he's gone from boiling angry, ready to die, to rejoicing and happy, then back to boiling physically, back to angry, and what does he say? He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. He says the very same thing he said in Nineveh when the Ninevites repented and he just could not handle God making his enemies his family. Jonah's at that place again, 24 hours, his circumstances change, his emotions change, he is still given no space for God to work. And what God has just done is this, he's given this parable of his compassion, if you weren't going to listen Jonah, let me show you 
And here's how God responds to the same kind of anger that Jonah has had. He's still stuck. Jonah's going to give him the same question after that parable. Is it right for you to be angry? There's that heart question. And this time God is going to twist it a bit. Those are the same words as we saw earlier, but now he's going to twist it a bit. Earlier he was angry at the Ninevites, but now is it right for you to be angry about the what? The plant. And here's Jonah. Man, I identify with Jonah because we get so frustrated. Heck yes, it is. That's what he says. Is that what your Bible says? He says, heck yes, it is. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. He's not so hot, he's so angry. And what does God say? God has been so slow to anger and Jonah's been so quick to anger. He's been showing him this parable and it's a parable really about his mercy to his creation. Even creation, watch, that is not a covenant religious creation like Jonah and his people. Jonah just watched 120,000 wicked, violent Ninevites believe God and turn to him, and it made him mad. Jonah's just watched a plant grow, and he was mad. So let's tie this together. What is God trying to show him about his anger? He says, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, that huge expanse in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. Here's what God is saying. Let's look at this anger of yours, Jonah. Let's look at the heart of the issue. You were angry at the plant, your beloved plant, that watch, was literally here today and gone tomorrow. You got so bent out of shape for the plant you did not water or care for or cause to grow. Isn't that sad about your poor little plant, Jonah? I see God with a smile on his face, but I also see God with, dude, how long is this going to take? How long till you believe that I am as merciful and good even to those who are far off? But you're going to be bent out of shape of the plant. Here's what God is trying to show. Surely your attachment to this plant could not have been very deep. But your concern for this plant was really self-motivated, not genuine love. God says, you never had. Look at the text. You did not tend it or make it grow. God said this. You clearly could not have understood the heart of the gardener. It's as if God is saying to Jonah in this moment, if you feel as badly as you do, what do you expect the gardener who gives life and tends and waters the plant, who watches it grow, only to see it die and wither. God says, this 
is how I feel about Nineveh. I feel so much more toward Nineveh than I do this silly plant of yours. All of these people who do not know their right hand from their left. Jonah, you are part of my people Israel, who my covenant love extends for thousands and thousands of generations. I've given you the law. I've given you life. I've shown you how to live with me. I am your God and you are my people. These Ninevites, I have watched plunder city after city after city, and they are following the ways of this world, the ways of empire. They are taking their hands and they're using it not to care for my creation. They are destroying my creation. And so I'm the gardener and I'm looking at Nineveh, 120,000, but guess what? There were more cities around Nineveh proper that belonged to the nation of Assyria. And God has let, seen their violence rise up to him. He's heard the cries of thousands of women, raped, assaulted, children, murdered. And he is agonizing because here's the Assyrians running around like all the empires in all the world. And God is saying, I cannot abide this forever, but I want to risk I want to risk my love for these people. I want to risk my name as the covenant people of Israel to welcome Israel's enemies. And so God looks down at these violent people and he says, I have a compassion as a gardener because they don't know the way of life like my people do. And my people have oftentimes looked just as angry and just as violent. And he's looking down with compassion. And he's saying that these Ninevites mean the world to me. And Jonah, your pain and death wish for this little plant is nothing in comparison to my weeping and grieving for the people that refuse to come and join my embrace. So God looks here and he ends this. Should I, Jonah, not have concern for this massive city? Yes, they're violent. Yes, they're wicked. But Jonah, if it were up to you, you would be just as wicked and just as violent because you wanted to run to Tarshish so that every single one of these Ninevites would die by my hand. So Jonah, you wanted the God of justice, right? You wanted the God who would just wipe them off the map, right? Okay, you got it. And I showed you in just the smallest way with this plant. Jonah, do you see now, finally, that my mercy is not just those for those who are near. My mercy is even for those who are far away. And it's even for the cattle. It's even for the plants. It's even for the spiders. God, forgive me for putting the bug bomb off in my garage. This is God who's merciful and compassionate to all his creation. This is a God who's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. Look what the psalmist says in 145, 8 to 9, as we start to wrap up. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love. Does that sound familiar? It's what we talked about last week. This is who God is. This is the orthodox statement of, 
every Hebrew. And not only is he gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, he is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Did he make the Ninevites? Did he make Jonah? Is he not longing to reconcile the Ninevites and also renew our broken, violent, angry hearts? So the trouble is, as we close out this book of Jonah, the trouble is that the Ninevites and Assyria turn to God, but not a generation later, these Ninevites that God welcomed will pick up their old ways, their old places of unlikeness, their old places of violence, and they're going to march further and further west. And this nation who God welcomed when they repented will wipe out God's people Israel. Not a generation removed from when Jonah son of Amittai lived and prophesied in the northern kingdom of Israel. And Assyria, who God had been patiently trying to reconcile and reconcile, a generation after they wipe out Israel, guess what? Another violent nation, Babylon, comes and wipes Assyria off the map. And you look at books like Nahum, and they talk about how Assyria, you've got to come back. These deep and abiding places of violence, you've got to repent because it's just going to end in death. But right now we're finishing Jonah. And right now we're looking at those places of unlikeness in our hearts. Because God is asking some of us questions. He's giving some of us opportunities if we would just give him the space to see that he cares not just for his people, but for all people. And we need to see where we started that this vision of the merciful God who is on mission is inviting us to partner with him. And so we look when he says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? They're just like babies, they're just going on their way. Should I not have compassion for them and also many animals? The bug bomb question for us tonight as a church is this. Will you extend the same mercy to the world that I do. The question for our church, and it starts in our hearts, will we extend the same invitation to come to the world that I do? Will you partner with me on my mission of mercy in your web of relationships, those lost causes, those neighbors, those places where he's put you to be an extension of his mercy in his grace. He's inviting us, just like he's inviting Jonah, and he's inviting us to, trans, to be transformed in our very hearts for the sake of others. Let's pray. And as we sing and respond, in the name of Jesus, as we take the bread that was broken for this world that God loves, we remember that the blood was shed for the sins of the world to rescue us, to reconcile us. 
Let's remember that Jesus from the cross said, forgive them for they know not what they do. So God, bring to mind those people in our lives who don't know their right hand from their left who are in need of your mercy and love. May we partner with you. Lord, in this place right now where we are stuck, in these places of abiding sin and anger, would you in your grace let us respond in stillness and space to the question and the statement that you're trying to get through to us. Would we not retreat to a tent, but would we retreat to the foot of the cross and abide long with Jesus to see your merciful, loving heart? We ask even now as we pray and sing to know you, that that knowledge would lead us deeper and deeper to you and to others. Bless us as we respond. We thank you for Jesus the Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen.